Welcome to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. Deal Us In promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Welcome back to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods, LLP, and Seven Mile Advisors. I'm Ann Dorsett, and with me today is Katie Rose Higgins, Vice President, Southurious Capital. Founded in 2006, Southurious Capital is a private equity firm focused on investing in growth companies in a wide spectrum of industries. Based in Charlotte, North Carolina, Southurious has sourced, structured, and closed more than 100 private equity transactions. For more information about Southurious, please visit www.southuriouscapital.com. So I'm really excited about this discussion because Katie Rose was the first woman I encountered when I started working in working on private equity transactions. She was the first woman I encountered with a speaking role on the client side of transactions. And we were both located in Charlotte. We would both go to marketing events and would literally be the only other women in the room. So it was, it's just my pleasure to introduce Katie Rose to our listeners. So Katie Rose, thanks so much for joining us today. As you know, Deal Us In is a podcast about and for women in private equity and finance. So before we get started, just tell us a little bit about you, about Salfurious, and your role there. Yeah, I would love to. And Anne, thanks again for having me on. And I share your sentiment there. I always love seeing a friendly face at those events and just found someone to be in my corner and, and help me along in my career. So really appreciate your friendship and um, work professionally. But I've been with Salfurious going on my seventh year now. I'm a vice president on the deal side. So my role is broken up over kind of the continuum of a deal. So the initial, what we call industry first, where we develop a market thesis and try to play that out based on our research. Deal sourcing, which involves meeting with companies, um, the owners, management teams, and pitching ourselves and why they should um, allow us to be partners going forward and let us uh, take a stake in their business. And then a bulk of my job is on that deal execution side. So once we've um, solidified the terms of the deal, preliminarily, we have to do the 60 days or whatever the term is of deal due diligence, which is a pretty intensive process. So at the VP level, there's a lot of quarterbacking of that. And then post-close, which is my favorite part, is working with the management teams going forward. So I'm on a couple boards uh, and work closely with the CEOs on the strategic plan, financial reporting, and just being a sounding board for them to think through some of the objectives they have in their job. Wow, that's I didn't realize that you were also involved on the back end of things. That's really interesting, Katie Rose. And I can see why that would be something that it's less frenetic and more organic. So I can see why that would be an enjoyable aspect of the job. But what it attracted you initially to doing private equity work? Yeah, in many ways, um, it was a fortuitous path into private equity. So I majored in accounting in my undergraduate program and did a master's in leadership and organizational performance and was looking into more consulting jobs at the time. I didn't know anyone in private equity, and it really wasn't on my radar as an opportunity for someone to straight out of college. Um, but fortunately, Furious recruits analysts straight from college, which 
isn't the typical recruiting model. A lot of times, private equity firms will recruit associates from investment banking almost exclusively. So I saw the posting on the Vanderbilt uh, career website, and I immediately thought it was a great fit. It combined the analytical side that I loved on the finance and accounting part, and then the strategic aspects I liked about consulting. But unlike consulting, we're making an investment in the companies and have our stake in the outcome. So there's execution risk there, and you're held accountable for executing. I think one of the other unique angles I had to is when I was learning about private equity, it sounded really similar to something I was familiar with. So I grew up as a football coach's daughter. And when someone was explaining to me the first time about how you invest capital, set out a strategic plan, put the right people in the right place, get the culture right, improve the facilities operations, and then hope to have a good outcome in three to five years, it sounded very, very similar to the work my dad had done in the college football realms where we take over a program and kind of have three to five years to, to get that success and recruit the right people, make improvements, et cetera. So I like the idea of that. Yeah, that's another really, really interesting thing about you that I didn't know. So I know that you're a sports fan because I am too. And I know that you're actually a, an incredibly good golfer. Are you a scratch golfer, Katie Rose? Yes, I am. So yeah. I, although any given day, it, it could be different, but my handicap is scratch right now. Wow. So I think, you know, going into a, an industry that's so heavily male, I, I think, you know, loving sports and understanding sports is an advantage. It, it kind of offers a entryway into conversations with male colleagues. But aside from this, the love of sports, you know, are there any other character traits that you think benefited you as you moved into private equity and, and started working on your career? Yeah. And I would say that kind of those, you find yourself in a lot of small talk scenarios in private equity when you're meeting with new people. So having the commonalities of sports, golf, and other things are definitely helpful when it's a male dominated world. But ultimately you have to be successful because of your ability to execute and, and knowledge of the fields you're working on and the industry you're working on. So it's not uncommon to attend board meetings or any important meeting for that matter and be the only female in the room. And I've always felt like people could be tuned out for the whole meeting and then the female starts speaking for the first time and everyone's ears perk up to see kind of how she pans out. Whether that's true or not, that's how I've always perceived it as a woman. So mm -hmm. I kind of made it my goal to be to, to always do my homework is what I would say is like, I'm going to be accountable, know everything I'm accountable for so that no one leaves this meeting questioning whether I know my stuff. And if I'm there, just kind of because of as a diversity, check the box. So that's the approach I've taken. I was always a good student. So that characteristic of studying, being well-prepared, doing my homework is something I think has benefited me in private equity. So what do you think, you know, in terms of giving advice to PE firms, that are seeking to increase the number of women, you know, how can they do that? And do you think that there's a benefit to having, to really kind of focusing on bringing on more than one woman? Yeah, definitely. And this is something that I acutely feel as well, because I do a lot of the recruiting efforts for our associate and analyst program. And it's hard when we get a batch of 100 applications, a large majority of them are males. So I think it's, important to be a little bit more open-minded and consider different backgrounds. Um, when we recruit, I view it as get the raw materials right. And for us, those are things like intellectual curiosity, how someone carries themselves, their maturity, their intelligence, their ability to put 
the team first. And those are things that don't really change. They're kind of consistent personality characteristics, but someone's experience, we don't, we're more open to someone that's done equity research. Or for me, I didn't have really a a ton of um, internship experiences that I think a lot of my peers probably did when they applied to the same position. But Falfurious felt like I had the right raw materials and figured they could train me on the rest, which is totally the case. If you're smart enough, you can learn how to use Excel in two months and, and learn how to model. So I think when private equity firms traditionally have this pipeline of recruit kids from the top, from Ivy League schools or top tier schools, and then they they were part of these top tier investment banks and then went to Harvard, Stanford, or, or Wharton out of MBA school, if that's what your pipeline is, there's very few females that follow that pipeline. And if they do, they're probably going to get picked off by the mega fund. So there's a lot of really good talent out there. And it just might be someone that is doing consulting or research or something of the like. So um, we've been open-minded with that with some of our other female hires, and they've been absolute rock stars. Thinking about the MBA route, you know, I've talked with both male and female clients in private equity, some of whom went ahead and went for their MBA, some of whom didn't. And one thing that I didn't really consider is if you decide to do that, you're basically taking yourself out of the game for two years while you go and study and get your MBA. And I've had some people question whether that route really made sense. I'd, I'd like your take. I know you, you didn't, you do not have an MBA. And I think we've talked about this a little bit, that, that you don't see it as, as, as something that you necessarily need to follow. Yeah, and I think industry-wide, it's becoming less common for that to be the standard path of investment banking or private equity associate to MBA before you can advance to the VP level and above. And what you're seeing is just the phenomenon you express where getting hands-on deal experience or at our firm, we're heavy on the operation side. So our managing partner has said, and he got his MBA, I'd much rather you be at one of our companies for two years, actually learning how these businesses run, what it's like to manage people and deal with real-world problems rather than things in concept and theory, then get your MBA. I think there is value if you can get into a top school and and network that way. But when I was making that decision, I felt like I'd been in school for so long and lacked real-world experience. And all the things I dealt with on a daily basis was just so so much outside the, the realm of what you do in school and just figuring out problems that pop up with companies that there's no textbook for. So I thought that was really valuable. And then another aspect for me was some of my male peers, I felt like they just had built out such a bigger network. So I came into Falfurious as an analyst. I was the only analyst in my class for a small firm. So I didn't have the benefit of being in this big investment banking class with 50 plus people where they all kind of spread their wings to different firms that have touch points, a built-in network there. I didn't, in college, my social group wasn't all kind of finance-oriented people that did that. And my social circles with my closest female friends, they're not in the finance profession, whereas a lot of my male peers, all of their social circles, business circles, all kind of revolved around that, where they could be playing golf with their buddy who worked at this firm, and he heard that they're tracking down this deal. And I just felt at a disadvantage in many of those ways. So I thought that just kind of really plugging in to my job currently and trying to build out my network and gain expertise in certain industry pockets was more valuable in getting my MBA. Yeah, yeah. That, that is interesting. So what do you do other than, you know, doing your job well? 
Do you do things? Are you a member of organizations? Do you participate in things that will help you expand your network? Yeah, so one of the really cool things Falfurious did for me in my development and including me in the firm and showing that they were invested in my future was they sponsored me to be a part of the Arts and Science Council's um, Cultural Leadership Training Program, which prepares professionals to be board members of various nonprofits in the Charlotte community. So um, they paid for that. And then through that process, I, I joined the board of an organization called the Arts Empowerment Project and actually serve as board chair now. So I've met some really great people through that organization. And it's really neat, too, because Fal Furious continues to support our, our mission to help at-risk youth heal through arts experiences. And then I'm also a member of the Women's Impact Fund, which is a really neat organization in Charlotte that um, pulls together a group of professional women to collectively give. So we vote on various grants and make an impact that way. And then finally, in terms of networking, I think there's been nothing more valuable than just having senior leaders at our firm connect me to people that are in their network and taking the time to do that. And that's something that I'm incredibly thankful for and is something I want to aim to do in the future and probably less naturally inclined to do that because I hate the feeling of bothering someone saying, hey, you need to meet this person. But I've seen the impact of, of being the beneficiary of that. Yeah, that's very true. And it is something I think that as women, we have to be very intentional about because well, speaking for myself, it can be hard for me to make an ask. So I just have to remember I'm not making the ask for myself, and suddenly that makes it easier if I'm making the ask for someone else, for a younger female colleague that I think, you know, would really benefit by meeting this person. It's easier than just thinking this is an ask for me. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. So you were once a new kid on the block. Uh, what, in your experience, helped you feel valued and included? I mean, we've talked a little bit about that, but is there are there any other examples that you could share with us? Yeah, I think what I alluded to with sponsorship of things I'm interested in was really powerful to me. And I think as firms try to make more room for diverse candidates and make them feel included, it's going to be important that they figure out what makes each person tick and what makes a difference to them. So for me, it was more of the nonprofit work and financial support that there, kind of money talk. So to see my organization give, be a premier sponsor for our annual event really meant a lot. Um, and it's going to look different. I think when you have a consistent employee, homogenous employee base, the things that tended to work for them might not be the ways to make people feel included in the future. And I think getting invited to events with investment bankers who source deals is really important. And just people going out of the way to say, hey, let's make sure Katie Rose gets invited here because it seems like a boy's outing, but um, mm -hmm. there's golf involved and she can participate there. And I'll go to those outings and I may be the only female, but um, just, just being there, I, I found that to have a lot of value. Yes, yes. Well, I, I mean, I agree with that, you. Sorry to interrupt you. It takes no, that initial okay. invite for someone to, to get you there in the first place, which you're kind of indebted to those people. I feel indebted, but just thankful to those people who got you that first invite that opens one door that and opens three doors. Right. To the listeners, you don't have to be a scratch golfer like Katie Rose to get out and participate in something like that. I'm a horrible golfer. When I'm in that situation, I just tell the other people in my foursome, I'm going to play captain's ball, which means I'm just going to move my ball ahead to the, to the person who's furthest along. 
and you know you're just there really to to talk and laugh and to to experience something beyond just the the day in day out work environment one of the things i see with women that that i work with in, in terms of our mentality is we feel like we need to be experts before we can participate so trust me i've seen enough men at these golfing events that should feel that they should be good enough to be there but they have no problem stepping out there so i think women need to start adopting that same mentality I absolutely agree with you. I think we are so hard on ourselves and you look at guys and they're just not. I mean, they're they're out there just to enjoy it and to and I think they start off thinking they're great whereas we worry are we great and we need to change that attitude. I completely agree and one of the really neat things that I've been able to see as our firm has grown and we've added more female analysts and associates is the ability to kind of speak candidly with them woman to woman. And I have those talks with their male peers as well about their development, how they're getting onboarded, how they feel about um, their performance so far. But I never hear the, the men ask any of the questions that the females ask that I ask myself of, do I belong here? Am I doing a good job? Do people think I'm competent, et cetera? And I think Having female representation across the firm, especially at various levels in the hierarchy, is so valuable because hearing from a more senior woman that, hey, I had those same thoughts and you're an absolute rock star and doing a great job is just so comforting and empowering at the same time. And just knowing that you're not alone and then just even little things like guys just don't have to worry about what they wear to business meetings or this setting or that setting. And there's too many more factors you have to think about. Um, is this appropriate? Is this not appropriate? Et cetera. So having that female camaraderie and support um, is really valuable. Yes, yes. I completely agree with all of those things. I mean, I remember when they first rolled business casual out and it was a little mortifying because I really do not have the shape that does well with golf shirts. <laughs> so trying to navigate that was was hard. And plus, offices, you know, tend to run cool. So it was like I always had to have a sweater, all these things that I think guys just, you know, they just go and be. But one of the things that struck me when when I first started working with you was how much the management, and JJ in particular, would noticeably defer to you. And I think that also helps for a tip for men who might be listening. That helps. That is a very empowering thing to have a leader say, Katie Rose, what is your thought? And then allow you to lead the team. I think that's something that should be practiced both by men and women with more junior people to let them spread their wings. But my question is, can you share any good advice that you've been given during your career? Yeah. And this is the kind of a principle that I learned growing up from my dad in the coaching world. And it was um, for whoever was a head coach, he viewed his job as to make his head coach look as good as possible and his job as easy as possible. So when I started working as an analyst, my whole goal was whatever partner I'm working for on this deal, I want to take off as much from their plate, let them know that everything's handled, um, kind of do the background work to make them look good in front of the managing partner. And through that process, one, it's the right thing to do from a team perspective and is best for the organization. And you kind of get that, um, loyalty to the group, but you also build a lot of respect and rapport with that partner you're doing work for because they know organization-wise, people might not see all the behind-the-scenes work you're doing, but that person you're working directly for does. And Mm -hmm. then when it comes around, 
they're the ones that can vouch for you and have vouched for me in the past to kind of make my progress throughout the organization. So I just found that really good piece of advice and something that I tell our new analysts because you can't prepare for every scenario, but if you kind of have that in the back of your head, okay, what would make, how can I make his job easier, her job easier? Um, That's a good rule of thumb. Right, right. And knowing that like sometimes it's easier and I don't know why, but sometimes I can click with somebody automatically and understand what they will need. And sometimes it takes work and it takes like actually asking them, what can I do to make this better if it's not that immediate click? Who is an example of somebody who inspired you? I know you've talked a lot about your dad. Is there anybody else apart from your dad who inspired you and helped you kind of move along the track that you've been on? Yeah. um, Growing up in South Carolina, I'm from Charleston, and I went to the University of South Carolina undergrad in the Darlin Moore School of Business. So having a woman financier as the namesake of your building because of all the success she's had and, and amount of money she's given back was really kind of cool to me. And someone that I thought just, she had it all going on. I mean, she's beautiful. She's powerful. She's successful. She was one of the first members at Augusta National. I read about her and she grew up in Lake City, South Carolina, the daughter of a football coach. And she kind of just has this really great confidence that I wish I had when you hear her talk. And it was really cool. We had the opportunity. She spoke at our annual meeting in one of my first years there. So Mr. McCall, our founder, former CEO of Bank of America, who knows Darla Moore, made sure I had time with her before the meeting just to introduce myself. But I've always looked up to her because she was just kind of tenacious. Um, she married uh, Richard Rainwater, who was a prominent investor and tripled his net worth or something to that effect and kicked off T-Boom Pickens from the board and was just super tough and did the hard things and was totally confident while doing it. Excellent. She sounds like a great inspiration for you, Katie Rose. We're now going to end with our signature question, which is, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's so many things that pop to mind. But in my role now, I've just noticed that the ability to be well-versed in a wide range of topics, um, both in terms of just small talk and relating to various people, as well as um, our investment theses cover a wide range of industries. And my 22-year-old self was really clueless on how a lot of the world worked because I was so focused in my box of getting really good grades in school and doing well in golf that I didn't explore the topics at hand in school as much as I should have and staying up to date on current events and just being more intellectually curious and reading more. So I would tell my 22-year-old self to get to lean in a little bit more there. And then I, I'm tempted to say to worry less because things will turn out well, but I think a lot of that kind of anxiety and worry drove me to work harder and ultimately led to my success. So it's hard for me to to pull back on that one. So I'm going to tell my 22-year-old self just to be more intellectually curious. <laughs> That's a good advice. It is. It's like, <laughs> I should have told myself to worry less. No, I think you're right. It's like, you got to paddle hard. Hard to stay up with the boat, for sure. Well, thank you, Katie Rose, for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners. This concludes another episode of Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods LLP and Seven Mile Advisors. If you'd like to give us suggestions of a topic or guest or have questions, please visit our website at www.dealusinpodcast.com. Thanks and have a great day. 
Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you. 